Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Samar. On today's program, Samar and I will be discussing uh, NATO and efforts by Sweden to uh, join NATO that's uh, been blocked by uh, Turkey. What's behind that? And um, now there are signals that uh, they may not oppose it anymore. But also, uh, meanwhile, Turkey has been trying to get in the EU for a long time. We'll also be talking about um, Quran burning in Europe. It keeps happening. Why is it happening? Is there a double standard? And also France. That and more in your phone calls, uh, possibly. This is True Talk on WMNF. We'll be right back after this short music break. Welcome back to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer. Um, we're back. This is True Talk. And uh, True Talk, we talk about global affairs today. We're speaking about Europe, what's happening there um, in relations to uh, NATO and Turkey. Turkey happens to be a European country, but it's also Asia. It's like part of Europe and Asia. It's a predominantly Muslim uh, country and becoming a, um, a, I guess, a regional power in that area. So on today's program, we're going to be speaking about uh, NATO and um, efforts why Turkey has been blocking Sweden's admission into NATO, as well as uh, Quran burning is happening in Europe and um, the double standard with that. 
and protest in France. So um, that's what we're talking about. Summer, my co-host, is with us. Um, Summer, hi. Good morning, Ahmed. How are you? Yeah, by the way, for listen, I'm fine, thanks. My name is Ahmed Badir. That's my co-host, Summer Jarrah. And this is True Talk. If you're new to our show, because uh, we're a new time slot now, uh, this has been, I guess, uh, one month in. We've been on the WMNF now for um, almost 20 years at different time slots. Mostly it was been on Friday, but um, we moved to Thursday some time back. And, um, but it was at 10 o'clock, then 11, and now we're at noon. So summer, um, a lot has been happening, of course, uh, with, you know, with Europe, in Europe. Uh, much of it has to do with Turkey. Right now, the NATO summit just ended in Lithuania. Uh, of course, Ukraine took up a lot of the discussion and uh, efforts by Ukraine to join NATO. I mean, the only country that's actually the whole purpose of having NATO in the first place was to keep the Soviet Union at bay and um, to try to keep that in check, especially during the Cold War. Now the only country that's really at a war um, at war with Russia, uh, what is now Russia, is uh, Ukraine. And Ukraine wants, and the whole reason they went to war to begin with, or they were attacked, is because there were efforts to get them to join NATO. And now they're still not part of NATO. And they're wondering, hey, when are we going to join? But it puts uh, the US and other NATO partners in a dilemma because if they admit NATO, uh, Ukraine as a NATO member, automatically the rest of NATO members will be at war with Russia and they don't want to do that, especially the United States. They don't want to, because part the NATO contract or agreement or alliance basically says that they all have to defend each other. So that's been the sticking point. Now, at that same NATO conference was a discussion about admitting Sweden into NATO, but Turkey has been, which is a member state of NATO, has been blocking it for almost a year now. Um, and that's what we want to talk about. Were you surprised about some of the developments happening out of NATO? Uh, yes, but I because I was uh, reading in the past two days and I found out that Hungary is also uh, against uh, Sweden joining NATO. And I'm looking at this Reuters. I don't know if this has changed, but um, I'm reading that not only Turkey is objecting and both of them are objecting uh, over uh, freedom of speech issues, at least in Hungary. But in Turkey, Turkey claims that there are people who are actively working against the national interest of the country and that there are uh, some what Turkey labels as uh, terrorist groups or uh, part, you know, members of terrorist groups that live in Sweden and that there is uh, that that Turkey asked for them to be expelled before uh, they allow Sweden to enter into uh, NATO. So this is really what I have been reading uh, about lately. And of course, uh, the Quran burning comes, and then that's a chance for Turkey to start talking about uh, the double standard, like um, you know. Uh, um, Freedom of speech seems to be selective when it comes right. to Right, but we, we don't want to jump into the discussion yeah, I, I yet. Because I'm, you know, because I have been reading about it. So, like, whenever something develops, all of a sudden it becomes part of the agenda of why 
there is a kind of skepticism about accepting uh, Sweden. I'm not sure what would like uh, Sweden offer NATO in terms of military power or uh, like tactical power. I'm really not well versed on it, but like for instance with Turkey, they do have bases uh, in Turkey, lots of joint training and God knows what goes on <laughs> also uh, in Turkey when it comes to NATO. So right. I really, I don't know what Sweden could be. Offering. I mean, it's one of the closer countries to, I guess that sh that is close to the uh, northern uh, border with uh, with Russia, Finland being the other country that joined in the past year, and they shared, you know, hundreds of kilometers, if not, I, I don't remember the actual length of the border between uh, Finland and Russia. But um, that was unopposed, and they joined the, the NATO alliance. Uh, Sweden's been a different story. Now, um, Erdogan and Turkey has been opposed to Sweden joining, mainly because uh, they, uh, for the past like four decades, have uh, given residency to uh, members of something called the PKK, which is actually designated as a is a designated uh, terrorist organization against, according to the United States and Europe. These are, uh, I guess, kind of uh, Kurdish separatists or militias. And uh, Turkey considers them to be terrorists because they've carried out bombings on civilians, etc. Um, they're part of, I guess, uh, uh, ethnically Kurds, but they are in Turkey and they want to have their own state uh, separate from uh, the rest of Turkey. And, you know, different people uh, view them in different ways. Um, you know, the Kurdish community, they share, they actually live in several of those countries that border each other. There's a community in Turkey, in Syria, and in Iraq. And um, and uh, I think also Jordan. But possibly some, in, yeah, some in Jordan. And maybe, you know, uh, but... These artific these border states or nation states that were created, uh, you know, after World War One, uh, are you know the, the borders didn't exist, so it was kind of an autonomous area. The Kurds lived there; they weren't necessarily strict borders of where Syria is and Iraq, so they could move around. But once these nation states were created, then it made it, you know, then some of these communities that were spread out in that region were divided into three areas, and you know. For decades now, that members of that community, um, or you know, sections of it, have wanted to have their own state, but others didn't. Others, are, you know, I met some Kurdish people in Iraq and even in Turkey, and they're fine being, you know, Kurdish Iraqis and or Kurdish uh, Turks, and that they don't support this concept of having their own state. But there are others that do, some of them going about it the political route, others, uh, you know, using the military and militia and violent route. And um, I think that's what Turkey is opposed to. And they're saying that, you know, Sweden has given refuge to uh, thousands of these uh, fighters that have gone there to Sweden and go back and forth uh, and, you know, maybe planning attacks. But... Uh, you know, on top of that, um, Turkey has been for years, which is a part of the NATO alliance, a predominantly European alliance with the United States, 
Um, for decades, they've been trying to become a member of the European Union, and they're blocked by the rest, you know, rest of Europe. So they're saying, "Hey, we've been trying to get into the European Union, and uh, these countries have opposed it. But now Sweden wants to be part of NATO, and we have our concerns that are legitimate security concerns. And there's some sort of double standard here. Why don't you consider our application uh, to get into the European Union, which are two different?" You know, NATO alliance is a military alliance where the European Union is more of a political alliance or, I guess, network or union, right? You have – are you done? Or yeah, yeah, go I, ahead. Yeah, you, you've, you've traveled to Turkey several times, and I know you have uh, fr- friends uh, even living here in the U.S. I also have – uh, like, uh, let me just before mentioning Turkey, because you were talking about Kurds. My husband's cousin is married to a Kurdish Iraqi. Okay. But he speaks, uh, of course, Arabic. His heritage is Kurdish, mm. but he identifies uh, as Iraqi and speaks the Iraqi accent. Um, I mean, he eats Kurdish food, but like you said, there are people who uh, are Kurdish live in Iran or live in Turkey or live in Jordan or live in Iraq, but not don't necessarily believe that they have to have uh, a separate uh, nation state. Uh, interesting. But I wanted to ask you, because you've been to Turkey several times, and I'm sure you have been to Europe. Do you think the objection to uh, Turks move uh, joining the European Union is the fact that a huge number of Turks will be able to move freely in Europe, and it can mean more uh, like migration, immigration. Like, are they afraid to change the makeup of Europe that people assume maybe a lot of Turks will try to go and live in European countries and leave Turkey? Right. I think, you know, it's kind of a xenophobic uh, fear because, you know, let's face it, these um, these fears of uh, the Turks have been a part of um, Euro- European history for centuries. I mean, the main opponent to Europe, you know, since the founding of the Ottoman Empire, um, have been uh, the Turks. You know, they're terrified of them, and you know, they read about them in their history books and the wars that have happened. You know, Turkey took uh, Constantinople, which was, I guess, the, um, you know, the, one of the capitals of uh, Christendom. And this is something that they, um, you know, studied. And you can see it reflected in European culture and history, you know, these stereotypes that they have about the Turks and how they're depicted. So I, I think that... Yeah, that it's based on some sort of uh, xenophobia or some sort of um, you know racism or, or or discrimination that they don't want all these Turks uh, going all over um, Europe. Um, there's a, a, a huge population of them uh, of uh, of the Turkish diaspora that migrated to Germany, for example. Most of whom were working as uh, you know laborers, not the elites, not the educated, because especially after World War II and Germany needed so much manpower to rebuild the country, a lot of it was done by the Turks that migrated there and they helped, you know, uh, rebuild Germany and much of Europe after uh, the wars. Whereas 
you know, like in uh, France and mm -hmm. some of the other countries, a lot of the uh, people from North Africa ended up being there. And, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later and how they're being treated as second class citizens. So, you know, Europe has this racism issue. It's kind of different than, I guess, the United States, you know, racism where it's more um, whites and blacks. Europe has this kind of racism that's due to colonization, where they, uh, especially uh, France, Italy, um, you know, England, they colonized a lot. Spain, they colonized much of uh, those uh, the Middle East and and Asia, and a lot. And after the war, they needed a lot of labor, a lot of people to come and rebuild, and um, they ended up being. Uh, after, you know, they're just laborers and then, you know, they're living in their own ghettos and et cetera. So that discrimination does exist. I think the fear is there. Part of the reason why um, England, I think, uh, or the argument that was made by conservatives, uh, the conservative party or the conservative leading politicians in England uh, and the United Kingdom to uh, split away from the European Union was because of immigration and because of the open borders. And not only did they not want uh, brown people there, but they also didn't want Polish people coming there. You know, they feared yeah. this type of, you know, immigration that these people coming from former Eastern Europe. Yeah, Eastern Europeans that coming for lower wages and taking their jobs and that type of, I, I think that's part of the fear, but also part of it is the whole religion factor that all oh, these are, you know, Muslims and they're taking over Europe and uh, we were opposed uh, to them. Interesting that you mentioned uh, England because today there was a conversation on a WhatsApp group. Um, I have two or three friends who work, uh, female Egyptians actually, who are professors at... Uh, universities in uh, England, but uh, outside London, in, you know, in less known, let's say, uh, cities. And uh, one of them teaches something in economics and the other one languages, but not the Arabic language. And they were just talking about how difficult it is for either one of them to be promoted to a senior position. Like she say, they, they have were having this conversation that when it comes to promotion or being a head of department or a head of a study group or a head of something. 80% are white British and then maybe 20% of the positions of white Europeans. Mm. But almost impossible to find somebody who has been like born or second, third generation Indian or darker skin. But they were talking about that the different because they were trying, we were trying to discuss what you were saying that the discrimination in the US is a bit different than the one in Europe. She says, for instance, because they are of a certain financial or social status, mm -hmm. she being a professor, making, it's obvious how much they're making. Their other British white colleagues discriminate against poor white British personnel. So she more said of a class. more of a class thing, which you do not see here in America. You can go to any restaurant and the guy who cuts your grass might be there and feeling extremely comfortable. And you might be a physician 
And I think this is one of the things I wrote about it in my uh, book in Arabic when I took mom to Chili's. And she said, oh, my gosh, someone, the guy who fixed your uh, something in my kitchen, carpenter, is sitting in front of us. And I told her, yeah. And then uh, he was with his mom. And then he moved. And my mom told me, oh, somebody, maybe he moved because he was embarrassed. I said, not at all. He probably <laughs> moved because, um, you know, the seating is too high or something. But um, my mom couldn't understand because these things do do not happen in the Arab world that you will be in a restaurant and uh, you will find the guy who was just fixing your AC or fixing your uh, door is in the same uh, place. So it's interesting how different societies look I, at I, class. Right. But, yeah. but the class there, like, you know, the AC technician here gets paid a lot more than the AC technician <laughs> yeah, in, in those parts in, in the Middle East because... That's more of a labor, but here it's, you know, not that big of an issue. But class aside, yes, people can eat chilies and these kind of restaurants. However, you'll notice the class when you get to the fancy restaurants, uh, you know, you won't find everybody able to, you know, have dinner, for example, at Burns Steakhouse or some of the more expensive, you know, $100 meal uh, restaurants uh, or four course meals. Or places in New York that are exclusive to the, you know, super rich. You, you'll notice it but there, but not, you're, not the franchise not places. Be, yeah, but it's not because they're not going to let them in. Right. It's because of the money. They can't afford it. Yeah, yeah, but they can go for a once-in-a-lifetime experience or for an True. anniversary or birthday. But in right. the Arab world, in Egypt, if you're not properly, if they feel you're not properly suitable to this place, they yeah, can they stop won't, Yeah, the, True. And unfortunately, we have laws here in, in this country that um, because we have these laws which protect, like, for example, um, you know, accommodation, that you can't just be turned away from a hotel or from a restaurant or a public place because of your skin color or your religion, you know, any of these basic things, whether it's your skin color or religion, ethnicity, um, you can actually be sued for it where... Other countries that don't have those laws uh, may get away with it. But uh, by the way, um, this is True Talk on WMNF uh, with Summer and Ahmed. We're speaking, or we were speaking about NATO and um, Sweden's bid to join NATO and Turkey blocking it. And we got into, you know, why that is and discrimination in Europe and um, why your, the, the European Union countries or states are um, opposed to Turkey joining uh, the European Union. However, they want Turkey to let Sweden join NATO. Um, before I just, I wanted to just wrap this up about NATO. I want to just comment about something you said. Um, my niece was in Egypt, where I'm originally from, and she was vacationing last summer in a place called Sahel, which is basically the or the coast, uh, also known as the North Coast in in Egypt, and for um, you know well-off Egyptian families, uh, when they go vacation, on the Mediterranean. yeah, they go and they vacation in the summer, uh, go on holiday. Some the you know very wealthy they'll spend the entire summer on the North Coast on the Mediterranean coast of Egypt in these, you know, lush and luxurious resorts and uh, com gated communities that have like, you know, walls that are, you know, 15, 20 feet high 
to keep everybody else out and, you know, really expensive accommodation. Just to give you an example, some of the hotel rooms there go for thousands of dollars just in one night. And you're talking about Egypt, which, you know, it's not a very rich country. However, one of the restaurants she was going to um, in one of these, uh, you know, resorts, um, you know, trying to make a reservation in the restaurant. They're very selective. They have to look up your social media and see how many followers you have. You can't just call them up and just schedule to, you know, to make reservation, just like you do here. You have to kind of request it and then they can approve it or not approve it based on your, you know, profile or who you are or what you do or whatever. So they are being very selective in the type of people that can even enter their restaurant and it's not only about class, but no, you have to have clout or you have to be, you know, someone who is has certain famous prestige or, or famous or, or something like that. Influencer, maybe. Right, or influencer. But or, So they have a specific profile and they, she said, like, you know, they try to just kind of walk in to get a table and they're like, no, you have to submit oh this God. and you have to basically, you know, request it through Instagram and we you know, include the profiles of whoever is joining you and will let you know. And this is happening in Egypt. And the person, and you're like, you're living in a Muslim country, you're speaking the Arabic language. That's the predominant language there. But when they're speaking to you, they basically speak to you in English or this kind of Arabic English. Um, so definitely there's, you know, when you're there, there is a discrimination that even happens in the Arab countries, but again, it's based on class. It's based on class and it's based on wealth and it's based on uh, prestige. Um, and what's surprising, what may surprise some listeners and um, that some hotels, and we're going to get into some of the discrimination that's happening in France, but, and I think this is a product of colonization because at one point, you know, France colonized and, and you know, occupied Egypt. So did the British. But they left some of the remnants of this, um, you know, racism or discrimination still intact that's being implemented by some of the elites and especially the service industry. But some hotels and resorts in Egypt don't even allow women in scarves to enter their pools. I don't know if you've heard this before, but they'll oftentimes yeah. ask him to leave or they, you know, can't. And I've heard some even, you know, happen to some um, dual citizens like that are Americans, you know. American Muslims that wear the scarf that go there and they're shocked that, that you know, I'm in a Muslim yeah. country and this is happening to me. And of course, uh, because they're American and they know their but, rights, or they, they refuse to get out or, or obey. Imagine if the wife of the president of the country decided to visit her sister at one of these resorts and she wears the hijab, they won't have the guts. Of course. No, yeah. No, cause the, cause so it depends really who, is, who you how, are. It, it, Again, it's the how much clout uh, you mm. have because I have very uh, well-off Egyptian friends whose mom is wears the hijab and they own multi-million-dollar homes in these places, and I don't think they would dare to tell them no. But uh, another type of discrimination that happened that our listeners might find uh, might find interesting is that there is this in Egypt. The Nile River has boats. Mm -hmm. um, like, um, embarked uh, where you um, sit in the boat uh, overlooking the Nile and you might have the nicest uh, either Arabic cuisine or Italian. It's like or, a boat restaurant or something. Yeah, and has different levels. So one of them, there is this uh, gulf 
person who's wearing the thobe, the white. Somebody uh, from uh, the air, like one of the Gulf uh, countries. I can't remember which country it was. And then he had his uh, Egyptian like business manager. And the guy said, no, you're not properly dressed. He said, what do you mean not properly dressed? I have, I'm wearing a long uh, thobe, clean. And this is my national dress. That's how we dress. And it's the summer and it's uh, light and white. And what's wrong? And the guy insisted and not letting him in. Mm -hmm. And the Egyptian manager, of course, was extremely upset and took a picture and put it on Twitter. And for the bad luck of this guy, this is one of the wealthiest Gulf investors who was coming to Egypt to invest and help the economy. Oh. And this the discrimination is because he assumed because he's wearing this thobe, uh, he's not uh, he's not um, good enough. But he can buy this whole boat in an instant. <laughs> right. So these are, I think, our listeners might find it quite intriguing. Yeah, I mean, when, it's really upsetting that when 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 your discrimination even happens um, within. So discrimination exists in in multiple places, but. When we think of freedom, like sometimes, um, you know, when we say, well, discrimination also happens in Egypt or in the Gulf region or other, but those countries are not claiming to be the beacons of freedom and democracy. And, you know, you already know, okay, in those countries, there's yeah. repression. But when we, they talk about Europe or we talk about Europe and European countries talk about themselves and the standard that they have for human rights and for freedom and for liberty. And pointing fingers. And pointing fingers at others. Uh, yeah, other cultures, especially the Muslims and Arabs. Uh, but then they themselves don't abide by the same standards that they're preaching. That's why we focus on them. And that's where the hypocrisy points out. So um, when it comes to Turkey opposing Sweden membership in NATO, they have legitimate security concerns because they feel they're harboring all these people that have carried out violence within Turkey, uh, part of members of the PKK uh, organization. Now, um, yesterday, all the news was talking about how Turkey is now allowing, will not block Sweden's um, mm -hmm. membership into NATO. But just today, Erdogan says that, you know, not so fast that he's going to handed over to the lawmakers. So Turkey, uh, AP is reporting Turkey's Erdogan says lawmakers uh, will take up ratification of Sweden's NATO membership in October. So again, they thought it was just going to be a done deal. However, he's basically kicking it over to um, the parliament, saying the parliament will take a vote and they will ratify what he is going to suggest. But I think he's keeping the door open because... Uh, there's something else that um, Turkey wants, and that is um, they want F-16 fighter jets from the United mm -hmm. States, which, you know, NATO is a member state. They should have that, but Congress has been blocking it because they, for whatever reason, they want to punish Erdogan or, you know, there are, you know, elements within um, in Washington that don't want Erdogan to have these fighter jets. I don't know where the pressure is necessarily coming from. So I think, you know, our, things that I've read online and I've, uh, you know, from different experts, they're saying that he's also using this as leverage to make sure the United States does deliver these F-16 fighter jets uh, 
to Turkey before that happens. So uh, we'll see what happens. The saga continues um, about Sweden's joining NATO. But it seems like when it came uh, to Ukraine, uh, NATO's answer was, well, we will let you in when time permits. That's their answer. Who knows at that point if there'll even be a Ukraine left um, after this war. I mean, they're the ones that are fighting this fight on behalf of the rest of Europe, keeping Russia at bay. And um, they don't even know if they're going to have enough weapons and ammunition to do it. And I um, was also reading that just last week that Biden signed off on a very controversial decision to send cluster bombs um, to Ukraine. One of the worst bombs on the face of Earth because they are very uh, famous with the uh, invasion of Lebanon and the bombing of Beirut and Lebanon. And the casualty of a cluster bombs is horrific. I mean, if you survive it, the, you, you are maimed for life and you require so much uh, medical attention and rehabilitation. Uh, right. And it really targets civilians. Not only that, um, because the way the cluster bomb works is like a bomb that includes like hundreds of mini bombs, mini bomblets, I guess. And it's almost like when you shoot from a shotgun and you have all these little BBs that shoot everywhere. So it's not precise. It goes, covers a wide range. It could cover like, I guess, multiple football fields, multiple blocks. When it attacks, so when you drop it, it's just these bombs spread everywhere and start, you know, exploding. However, the bigger problem with that is that a lot of these bomblets, when they drop, they're like duds. So they don't explode. They just drop and stay on the ground. And they could last for years sitting there. And it has happened in some of these countries where cluster bombs used to be used a lot. Uh, children playing in the streets, they'll find them, they'll step on them, and they'll explode and kill children. Or they'll pick them up, play with them, and they explode. And that's why they've been banned by over, I think it's something like 100 countries banned them around the world. However, the United States and all those countries that banned them, especially in Europe, all of Europe has banned them. And they went about, you know, destroying them. But the United States never signed on to that. And they have, and Russia also did not sign on to it. And the United States has um, stockpiles of these weapons, of these cluster bombs. Um, At some point, Congress said that they're not allowed to sell or export these weapons or use these weapons uh, until the what's called the dud rate, these unexploded um, you know bomblets drop below one percent, and it's nowhere near that. Meaning, less than one percent of these cluster bombs will actually just not detonate and will end up being you know being like a live bomb on the ground that will detonate later. And despite that, that's why Biden have to, had to sign off on it, sending this potentially very, you know, lethal weapon to be used by Ukraine. And they're not using them on Russian land. I mean, they're doing this fighting in Ukraine. So imagine mm-hmm. years from now, after this war is over, you know, children, Ukrainian children that survived the war will be, you know, potentially in harm's way because of these uh, cluster bombs. So um, that's, you know... It's unfortunate uh, what's happening, but I think 
if you have time, I want to talk to you about uh, this Quran burning that's been happening in Europe. Yeah, actually, I am uh, because because I was preparing for the show today, and uh, I remember when the news was about it, nobody knew who was going to do it, and then. Uh, when I saw him, Ahmed, and I saw the footage and it happened, uh, we're talking about the Swedish government allowing uh, a young person or a person to burn the Quran, not on any uh, regular day, but on Eid al-Adha, the, the Feast of Sacrifice. Which we just had recently. We just had. So that day when all Muslims go to do and perform the Eid prayer, which is usually at 8 a.m. in the morning, uh, there was an event where a guy from Sweden will be burning the Quran. Turns out that he is of Iraqi descent, that he uh, his name uh, is Silwan Momika. And uh, he's 37 years old, the Christian man from Al-Hamdaniya Al district, which is east of Mosul, which is in Iraq. And the question is, okay, there are two things here to discuss, Ahmed, freedom of speech when it comes to Muslims and lack of freedom of speech uh, for others or uh, lack of it for Muslims. But the idea is how could this guy uh, get uh, to immigrate to Sweden and to be protected under Swedish law with his background because he fled the Iraq uh, because of so many uh, deceptive uh, and and cases against him, but he was. Uh, uh, let me just make sure I read the right. Uh, this he, is uh, he, this is something new that just came out now. Yeah, uh, just reading it today. He is a member of Iraqi Christian Iran proxy militia formed by the RGC Kataib Ruh Isa, the Spirit of Jesus Brigades, under the command of Kataib Imam Ali, uh, which is a Shia uh, uh, militia. branch of militia. And... Uh, like he was under the command and the leadership of groups that the U.S. designated as terrorist groups. And actually one of the guys that uh, he was working under was assassinated or, or died when the U.S. or uh, during the Trump administration uh, assassinated Qasem Soleimani. So the question here, like can any <laughs> former terrorist uh, just go to Sweden and seek asylum and live there and then ask to do something that is disturbing to more than 1.5 billion people? Like, like well, this, you think th this, I mean, this underscores, um, you know, um, Turkey, Turkey's President Erdogan's message that Sweden has been harboring terrorists. And this is just another example of uh, a different kind of, you know, militia or somebody that belonged to a terrorist group that's there. When this news initially came out that a Swedish man burned the Quran um, in Stockholm, uh, right outside the uh, Eid prayer, it, it'd be the same as if somebody uh, took the Bible and stood outside, you know, one of the biggest churches in Tampa or in Washington on Christmas and was burning and desecrating the Bible. Obviously, that would anger a lot of the people there, and uh, you know, provocation. But you find out that this 
But you also find out that this person has come to the U.S. Uh, as a former terrorist. Yeah, exactly. How did That's the U.S. allow? <laughs> yeah, how did Sweden allow? And why does Sweden continue? Like a Taliban, let's say, uh, actively, I mean, armed, not sympathizer, but a guy who worked within the militia. What is happening in Sweden that is allowing former or current or active terrorists um, that are in a, you know part of groups that are designated to 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 be able to seek asylum and get it. So it's not only Kurdish, but you know this Iraqi man who happens to be an Iraqi Christian, who I guess as you were saying, they this group had a a, a sub militia under a Shia militia in Iraq, and this is an armed uh, 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 group. And they're definitely on the terrorism uh, list. But so he goes to, uh, you know, Sweden, gets asylum. And the thing that he wants to act out is burn the Quran in front of the mosque. And then they say, oh, this is freedom uh, of religion. Yeah, I mean, sure, in the United States, you're even free to, I guess, burn the American flag. However, when you're doing it as an assignment now in, in, in Europe, they have different laws. For example, mm -hmm. you cannot be a Holocaust denier in Europe. You cannot uh, do certain provocative thing. There are some countries in Europe you can't burn their flags. Um, you cannot use racial slurs or certain type of slurs, especially when it comes against um, members of the Jewish community or anti-Semitism. It's considered a crime there, this type of incitement. However, they will not apply the same standard when it comes to Muslims. And they're saying, okay, well, this is freedom of uh, speech. Um, now, the United, States, the United Nations held a vote, the United Nations Human Rights Council. There was a motion to, um, to basically say, condemn. to condemn the Quran burning that happened in Sweden. Because this is not just a person that did this on their own. They actually got um, permission and approval from the Swedish government. And he had uh, police officers there to protect him. So it's and almost like you're sanctioning. It's not just somebody that's doing it on their yeah. own. You you're, only, protecting. you're protecting him against people that would hurt him. And then you're taking all this government resources to protect one person's uh, right to burn the Quran. And this is not something that he was not the first one. Sweden has had several people that have been burning the Quran in front of, for example, the Turkish consulate. This is something that they keep doing over and over. And Sweden and keeps allowing it. And there is like a, like a weekly get together and a plan to do it. And what is interesting, when he came to Sweden, Ahmed, uh, he joined the most right extremist Swedish party, which is known for its hostility towards migrants, Muslims and Arabs. And they campaign, it actively campaigned to deport Arab migrants and like... The, I, I don't understand the, the schizophrenia involved here because you're an immigrant yourself and you are an Arab, okay? And uh, why would you go to and join as, as such a right-wing extremist group? But obviously they do have a lot of extremism. And I'm saying like a racist, white supremacist type of extremism uh, in Sweden that seems like because Sweden has an account on Twitter in Arabic and they tweet things, you'd think, okay, God, that's really heaven on earth. Uh, beautiful. Uh, everything about it is beautiful. I'm talking about geography, weather, scenery. 
But when you dig deeper, you will find that there is so much racism there, a scary type of racism. And this guy goes and joins this group, and this group, for some weird reason, doesn't think that he is also an immigrant that needs to be kicked out. <laughs> it's the, very. It just shows you that okay, that Sweden will allow uh, as long as you are your protests and your um, you know the target of your protest and things is directed at people that they may not like then somehow, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the message that is being sent all over the world, that these guys, is, I mean, you know, the Muslim world keeps watching Europe over and over provide police protection to people that want to keep desecrating their religious books. You will not find in the Muslim world people desecrating the Bible because it would be part against our faith. I mean, meaning me against our meaning because, you know, I also happen to be Muslim. It would be against the Muslim faith to desecrate the Quran to the Bible or the Old Testament or to, you know, say things or, you know, depict against the prophet prophet Jesus or Moses or Abraham. You know, the prophets are in the Bible uh, and depict him in any negative way. You will not find that because it's just against one, the religion It's against the law there. So when people see that happening in in Europe, and you know, it's and it. This is not something new. It's been happening now for a couple of decades. Remember when they had the you know uh, cartoons of Prophet Muhammad and then Charlie Hebdo. It, it just continues. Is that the way that you want to continue to show that you have freedom of speech by simply insulting these people's religion and or you know, showing that you are uh, of superior morality, but. What's in? What's really disturbing? Ahmed, but they won't really? dare. But uh, just be, they won't dare do that against the Jewish religion, because of course of their history in Europe of what they did to the Jewish community, the the horrific Holocaust and genocide. That did not happen in Asia. That did not happen in the Middle East. That happened in Europe under their nose. And many of these countries either you know stayed quiet or even participated in it it happened there and even before that happened uh, uh, by the Nazis in Germany uh, Jewish communities throughout Europe white Europe Jews were were discriminated against mistreated and put into ghettos um, all over Europe that's the history of Europe and that's the history of racism that's you know that's been there and continues now against a different group and uh, what is disturbing to me, Ahmed, is uh, that the fact that there are millions of Iraqi Christians who live in Iraq and outside Iraq, and there are millions of uh, Christians all over the Arab world, and it is really admirable, and the media, of course, will not be covering, uh, that there was never a connection or a link created in the minds of Arabs and Muslims in the Arab world between what Mamika did, uh, because he's very vocal about being Christian. The Swedish-Iraqi uh, man. The Swedish-Iraqi mm-hmm. guy. Christian. And the fact that there are uh, Arab Christians uh, in all the Arab world. So, um, yeah, and nobody in... credit when, it, when the credit is due. Yeah, right. And nobody in the Arab world said, oh, look at all the Christians, terrorists, you know, they, nobody is, because it's just so absurd to blame Christianity for the actions of this guy, 
who's you know didn't you didn't you many many years ago go to a guy meet him in Tampa because he had a toilet outside yeah yeah I, we could talk about that story another time right um his name is michael uh, what was his name his name is no, michael no, don't mention his name, okay but- yeah he had this uh toilet outside his in his front yard and he had a sign on the toilet imagine like a white porcelain toilet in his front yard and on the toilet had a sign that says quran burning one <laughs> quran burning Good. 1 p.m and you know he would or quran yeah quran burning or something or quran flushing 1 p.m and for you know every day 1 p.m him and a few friends would or he would you know rip a, a page from the quran and put it in that toilet it wasn't so connected what, to any plumbing or anything it was just kind of a symbolic thing and i ended up going to his house and talking to him interesting conversation how did he stop after that? I didn't ask him to stop, but he said I was the first Muslim that, to come visit him in his house, and he thought I was so normal, and he was so happy. I, I think the guy was lonely. Nobody, you know, <laughs> visited him, and I was, you know, when I walked in his house, anyway, we don't have time to tell the whole story, but um, when I walked into his house... No, why not? You should tell the story. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of takes a while to tell it. But, you know, one of the things... Six minutes, go ahead. One of the things that, uh, you know, uh, when I knocked on the door, I guess he was in the kitchen and, you know, um, he came out, he was holding, I guess he was cooking or something. He had a knife in his hand. So I said, okay, maybe (laughs) (laughs) maybe this was not a good time to knock on this door. Yeah, maybe this is not a good idea. And then, you know, he was kind of surprised that anyone is knocking. And and he said, well, you know, come in. And I was a little nervous going in, you know, with this guy that's holding a knife. But when I went in, he had this on the right side, after you enter the door, like a big portrait of Rush Limbaugh. Oh, my God. And I said, I looked at it, I said, oh, this is my hero or something. I said, okay, this is why the guy is doing these Quran things, because he's getting all his information from people like Rush Limbaugh. And of course, on his TV, he had Fox News. We're talking like 2005 here, you know, right at, you know, after 2005, maybe 2006, um, shortly like in the years after 9-11. And, and then when I got talking to him, he said, oh, I'm doing this in solidarity with our boys in Guantanamo. Apparently, one of, you know, a couple of the soldiers or one of the soldiers got in trouble for oh. desecrating or urinating oh. on the Quran or something, if you remember that story. And he says, yeah. you know, he got in trouble for that, but I have freedom of speech and, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this in solidarity to be with him and to, to be able to do that here, you know, and we're putting it in the... I said, okay. And then I just, you know, he asked me some questions about... I said, well, we don't support, you know, terrorism. He said, oh, you don't? Well, why don't you... Uh, ever say anything that you're against terrorism. I said, well, uh, you're not going to hear it. On- we are saying it. And at the time, you know, I worked for this organization, CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. So we did a lot of civil rights and media stuff. And I showed him, showed him examples where we condemn terrorism and violence all the time. He said, oh, I haven't seen this before. And I said, well, you're not going to see it on Fox News or it's not going to be on Rush Limbaugh. That's yeah. uh, selective. Um, you know, it was interesting. There was nowhere to sit in the guy's house. Everything was like, he said, oh, I just downsized from another bigger home. So he had like, 
you know, things all over, boxes everywhere. The only place we could sit was in his bedroom. <laughs> just, oh, my God. So, so this you story is getting worse. So I was sitting on his bed. You had these rifle stands oh on the wall and he had all these guns on it. Uh, oh, my God. It was definitely one of the a very surreal experience because this is, is a person. He no, he's not young. He was like a middle age. I think he was in his 50s at the time, maybe um, 60. And it, it just shows you, you know, he, 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 there was a lot of misunderstandings, a lot based on ignorance and stereotypes and things he just heard on, the, you know, on, on right wing media. And this was the first time he actually met a Muslim in the community. Um, you know, he told me about his kids. He asked me, you know, what kids I have. I showed him pictures and, you know, we're talking. So I think I spent an hour there. Uh, by the end of it, he said, you know what? I'm going to remove, uh, you know, that display in the toilet. I said, why? You know, I didn't ask you to. He said, well, you're such a nice guy. And if it's something that's, you know, offends you, then I don't want to do that. So I was surprised. And I never, you know, I guess he thought maybe I was there to try to intimidate him or to shut him down, tell him, you know, you can't have that. I never said that. I just said, you know, why are you doing it? And, you know, he explained it. He had his own reasons, but it was based on false, you know, misinformation. And once uh, he heard, you know, uh, another perspective, he decided like, okay, well, I don't need to do this. And he actually just put the sign in the trash and removed the toilet. Um, oh. So, yeah, it was it, it was a learning lesson. I mean, you know, instead of going out and protesting outside his house, we decided to do an engagement. Um, there was another guy that was in town that, well, we're running out of time, but there was another guy in St. Petersburg that actually had a different um, sign. Yeah, it wasn't a toilet. He put a huge sign outside his uh, house of one of the cartoons Oh, okay. Uh, of Prophet yeah. Muhammad that was being done in Denmark or, you know, somewhere. And he said, well, I'm doing it because of freedom of speech and the newspapers are refusing. So he had a huge, like 10 feet high size one that's in front of his house in St. Pete. And I also ended up talking to him and went, went in his house and he had a different approach. And he was actually a lawyer. Um, I can wow. tell that story another time, but yeah, you remind me, remember, you re reminded me of yeah, the stories. I remember stories. because it was very significant to to think of a toilet and to put it outside, so people passing by, and I guess people just kept calling you guys and yeah. saying, yeah. We're out of time, Summer. It's uh, one o'clock. Uh, NPR News is next in a few seconds, and um, then it's you know more great programming on WMNF, and uh, I have to say WMNF Tampa. And, of course, Tampa's in Florida. Uh, Summer will be here at the same time, same place, next Thursday at wow. noon on, on True Talk with Summer and Ahmed. Do you have any final words? Uh, no, uh, I think I have, inshallah, I don't want to jinx it, but I have uh, somebody who works in NASA that will be on the show next week. It's going to be a little bit about science and space and exploration. And uh, he is uh, a Palestinian. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that and more. This is True Talk on WMNF. Have a great weekend. NPR News is next.